Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Dale Dupree. He's the leader of the Sales Rebellion, hands down one of my favorite people to follow on LinkedIn. He talks about all those slimy things that you see salespeople do day in and day out and how you can actually stand out in the sales world. That's right. You can stand out and sell without losing your soul. I love this episode. You're going to get some real tips and strategies to grow your business. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, thanks for checking out another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. Man, I always talk about how this guest is the one. Well, I'm for real this time. Some of you guys have been asking me about, dude, how do I get more sales for my business? How do I drive sales? And you've probably heard me on past episodes talk about all the obnoxious things I've seen salespeople do that you should not be doing. Well, today I have a very special guest. I have Dale Dupree who's joining me. He's the leader of the Sales Rebellion. This guy is hands down one of my favorite people to follow on LinkedIn. His content is phenomenal. He kills it from what you need to be doing to grow the sales for your business. Him and I grabbed a cup of coffee the other day and I was like, dude, this guy is the real deal. He's awesome. So I had to get him. I begged him. I said, you got to come on the podcast. You got to share some of your sales knowledge, drop a knowledge bomb for my listeners today. So Dale, so excited to have you. Thank you for joining today. Yo, do you have the crowd noise? (laughs) (laughs) Bro, I feel like I just walked onto a court, man. That was some fire energy you got there, man. And I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I think you guys enough coffee though for both of us, bro. Dude, I got, I already slurped my whole cup down, but I, I really am. I really am stoked to have you on here because uh, anyone who's followed me long term, like I, I didn't even mean to get into this, but I just keep seeing things that I use the word obnoxious. It's so aggravating from a sales perspective. Since you're the sales guy, you probably see this all the time. And so I'm just excited to have you on because I know you're going to share a real perspective on how do you get sales? How do you drive sales? Things that everyone should be doing, things that people should not be doing. Uh, so I'm just, I'm, I'm really energized around the great advice you're going to be giving to the listeners today. Awesome, man. And I, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to give that advice because uh, it's it's definitely part of my passion, part of what I believe is my why and, and part of the legacy that I'm leaving. So I love sales. It's a weird thing to say, but I just said it. So come <laughs> at me. Well, it, it is a weird thing to say because so many people, you talk to so many business owners and they're like, oh my gosh, sales it's it's draining it's exhausting it's it's there's so many different strategies out there how how did you really find sales to be the thing that you jumped into in the sense of like this is my thing this is where i'm going to leave my legacy like why sales yeah so that's an interesting uh question with a a really interesting answer and it, it starts in 1984 actually a year before i was born when my father founded his copier firm Connectivity Business Systems, CBS for short. 
which was genius, you know, because those were the major networks, NBC, CBS. So when you walked in somewhere and was like, hey, I'm with CBS, it was like, yeah, you need to speak to the owner of the company. <laughs> Absolutely. But I was born a year later in 1985 with Tona running through my blood and, and a legacy that my father was building for us. So, so sales naturally became part of who I was through what my dad was doing. And, and all th- three of my siblings, um, and, and me included, you know, so we make up four in total. Uh, they're all very outgoing personalities. They're all very, they're, they're people, people pleasers for the most part. We're all very high eye on a disc scale. Um, for the most part, you know, there, there is a little bit of extroversion and introversion mixture in there as well too. But, um, you know, and there's a lot of dominant, you know, cause I'm the second oldest. So like me and my older sister, you know, we tend to believe that we are the leader of the family, you know, each of us individually. So, <laughs> you know, there's all the fun dynamics, but like what my dad really laid a foundation for, for us was this identity of, of what sales truly is, which is servant leadership, which is giving back to your community, which is being involved, which is being very present, which is truth, you know, more so than anything else. And, and so sales became life, right? Inside of my walk and my upbringing. And so it didn't really matter what I was doing. I was selling in all things. And I, and I truly believe that everybody is in sales, right? I believe that teachers sell structure, that a broker sells a network, that a buyer sells themselves, you know, and I, and I really truly have this outlook of that every single person that we interact with on a daily basis is in sales. And so, and so because of that legacy and because of that outlook and that thought process, I started in a band. I played on Pluto Records and upgraded to Warner Brother uh, Records or music group. And, and from there, I ended up coming back and selling copy machines with my dad for about four years before he sold his firm, spent the next um, eight years just selling copiers and becoming a VP of sales in the organizations that I represented as a top producer. So, and with my dad, of course, you know, I, I had my ups and downs. I had two years of, of sucking and two years of being better at sales and finding my voice and finding my rhythm and getting into my habits better and get in that natural state of a salesperson, um, developing my biggest, uh, my business acumen, also developing, you know, just for me, like what my role was going to be in the community as a leader more so than anything that, and instead of looking at like my sales walk, I looked at my, you know, what my life walk was going to per, uh, portray and how my sales walk was going to complement that. And, and so because of the mindsets and because of the, the ability to be able to learn from one of the best in the world that ever walked this earth, in my opinion, uh, and of course I'm biased because he was my dad, but, but all those things kind of culminated into me just sticking with sales and staying in sales. Because again, you know, if I were like, ah, I just want to go crunch numbers. Well, even that person is in sales. Hmm. They got to sell those numbers to somebody else. Hmm. <laughs> so, well, there's quite a bit to, unlo- to unpack there. I want to start with a comment you made early on in your response. And that was that really you were talking about sort of the truth of sales and what sales really is. And there's there's a lot of different opinions on this. But you said really it's it's servant leadership, really it's and you didn't say this directly, but it's it's the relationships that you're stewarding. That's a little bit of a different take on sales, especially with business owners who maybe they aren't fully focused on uh, I don't even want to say serving the customer, but but using that terminology you said, servant leadership. Tell me more about what you mean by that. Like, what's what's your whole ideology when it comes to selling someone? Yeah, so ser- servant leadership in general, like I, I do believe that people kind of have a they have a a bad take on it. Um, Robert K. Greenleaf wrote the book, and so if you really want to understand it better than even I can understand it, pick that book up. You know, Robert K. Greenleaf wrote Servant Leadership. Uh, it's a wonderful read and it will really help you to give a, yourself a perspective of what 
in my opinion, a real leader looks like because a servant leader is a true leader amongst men. And, and that, that concept goes deep because a leader isn't somebody that wins all the time. A leader isn't somebody that, that never, you know, loses a deal. Um, you know, a leader isn't somebody that, that doesn't have any problems. You know, a leader is a human, <laughs> just like me and you and anybody else listening to this podcast. And, and that, in that same servant leadership role and the way that they're stewarding the relationships, as you put it, is that they're, they're doing things like telling a prospect or an existing customer, even that I'm not the right fit for you. They're doing things like traveling down a road that no salespeople will because it's off the beaten path and it, and it might be a waste of it quote unquote might be a waste of time, right? Instead they take risks, they take chances and they, and they do it in the name of servant leadership, which is this identity of how it is that you will help your community succeed in the first place. And when your community succeeds, you succeed is the bottom line. This isn't about reciprocity either, bro. That's what a lot of people get long, wrong, I think, is that they they somehow think like, oh, okay, I get it, Dale, um, or anybody talking about servant leadership. You give and then you get back. <laughs> you give without any expectation. That's what a true servant leader does, right? A true servant leader doesn't, they look at their life on this earth as purpose-filled and they have a drive and a desire to remain in that state of mind at all times. Because when they when they deviate from it, nothing good happens in the first place. And, and they do not, they stray away from this idea and that identity, I should say, of being a servant leader in the first place. And there's less fulfillment, there's less happiness. And because of it, you know, it's, it's why ha the, half the world hates each other <laughs> and why we have so many problems in general, yeah. to be quite frank with you. So it's a bigger picture mindset of not just, you know, how am I going to be better at building my business? It's about how am I going to be a better human being? And that's where the core, mm. I think, foundation of all success begins. So, so what does it look like someone who is like locked in on that whole ideology? I mean, and it's not, it's not sort of like this surface driven reciprocity. Like I'm just trying to get back, like, but they really at their core, they're hungry for, I want to make a difference for my prospective clients. What, what, what are the differences between that person and someone who maybe isn't like skeezy or slimy, but just doesn't really, they're just trying to make the sale what what do those two interactions look like when it comes to selling a product to a client? Let's start with the with the with the latter there. Like let and, and because when you said that, you know, when you when you defined it, when you said not slimy or sleazy, but just somebody that's kind of just looking to make the sale. I was reading a post recently about someone talking about how as a salesperson, you have to be okay with getting on someone's nerves or interrupting them in the middle of being busy. And I read that and I thought. What buyer will read this post and go, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I need yeah. to be interrupted. <laughs> I need to, I need to have someone yeah. get on my nerves. Like you know, the only time that those things are appropriate in life in general is when you're getting someone out of their comfort zone in order to help them with their own personal growth, mm. right? In business, it's much different. You have to have intrinsic value in those moments to keep somebody, you know, from being annoyed by you or getting on their nerves per se, or, or feeling interrupted. So, so there's a foundation that has to be built before any of, 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 of those things. So, so if you don't have a foundation is really how to sum that up, you will be kind of just this whitewashed salesperson where there are all these little things that are okay to do because it's part of sales. Well, those are all stereotypes that were created, you know, by perception and they're not the truth of sales. They're a cop out. 
right? When people say things like, oh, it's just business, you have to get on someone's nerves. That's a cop out. That's an easy way to not be connected with another human being and to treat them like a number. So you feel good about it. And then you know that you don't have to spend all this time, you know, fluffing up the, the relationship and having all these, you know, Skittles and rainbow conversations with people. And that's a misperception as well, too, right? And, I, and I'm sarcastic about it because that's how people look at it, right? But really what it is, is it's true fulfillment and happiness with a servant leader. So let's talk about, let's just give a couple of examples. Let's do that. This will be the easiest. The way that a servant leader lives. So like, let's look at first off the personal side. My father drove 44 miles every day to his office for 29 years and back to his house, 44 more miles to see us, my family. And he was always home by six o'clock, dude. Every freaking day, my dad was home by six o'clock. So, and he was home by six o'clock because he knew he, he needed to be an influence on us just as much as he was an influence on his community. My mom didn't want to live 44 miles away. She wanted to live in downtown Orlando. She wanted to live behind her sister where her mom lived as well too. You know, she wanted to be in that environment. And so my father didn't argue with that or say, put his foot down, say, I bring home the bread, you know, and, and instill these, you know, traditional uh, morals into my home, which are outdated and gross in the first place. Instead, my dad taught us in those, in those instances, not just like how to treat a situation where you're you're committed to somebody for the rest of your life and to sacrifice a few things because because sacrifice is is to me it's like not wanting to do it like my dad loved driving 44 miles a day right he loved it and so we saw that my dad didn't just do it for mom he did it because he was in love with my mom right he mm. did it because he was in love with my our family that he created with my mom so there's there's where your foundations in lie right and then let's talk about business well in business I remember very clearly um, throughout my my time with my dad, him just doing wild things that would be non-traditional to the sales world or the business world in general. So let's talk about one internally. Internally, when my dad would, would let somebody go, he would basically tell them like, hey, go find a new job and I'm going to keep you on payroll for the next two to three weeks and let me know when you found a new job. And in the meantime, I do expect you to do these particular things inside of your role, but we both know you're not happy. And I think it's best that you move on, but I'm going to make sure that you're, that you have a clean, you know, entry into the new job and that you don't have any kind of gaps. You don't have to file for unemployment and, and you could still provide for your family. That was the kind of guy my dad was. Right. Wow. And, and so then let's talk about the external, right? We had, I remember in 2007 and 2008, we were picking up copiers like crazy and because of the economic collapse. And, and there were a couple of people where my dad just said, basically said, I see you're still running this machine. And I see that you don't have the money to pay for it, obviously, because you would have paid your bill by now. But instead of repossessing it, I'm I'm just going to basically start you fresh, knowing that you owe me this money. And so I want you to pay it to me when you can. But from here on out, you know, the only thing I'm going to let you keep this and I'm going to let you run it, but I'm not going to be able to get you toner unless you pay upfront for them. You know, little things like that, like consumables. I'll, I'll have a service tech come out and do service when necessary. But if we have to use parts, then we're going to have to either collect a check there on site or, or schedule a time to come back and collect the check and do the fix. And, and those are the types of things that like most business owners would go, why would you even want to micromanage that in the first place? Well, because of the fruit of what comes of that is that you impact a person's life. Like that person has to pay bills too. That person has to run a, a successful business. They have to serve their client base just the same. And so my dad always was thinking about this idea of like, who can I impact beyond just the moment? So who do the who does this person serve and and how and then of the people that they serve how many people do the do those folks serve on top of it so my dad was like this 
chain effect, right? Where he would, he would impact you. And then, and that chain would just grow stronger and longer, you know, throughout the course of his time on this earth. And to sum all that up at my dad's funeral in 2016, when he passed away from cancer, I looked out into a sea of people that, you know, half I didn't even recognize and thought these people are at the wrong funeral or they are, you know, my dad had a double life. (laughs) I'm not really sure which one it is. And, and then the stories, dude, I mean, the stories were insane and I could get into them for hours, you know, if we sat here and talked about it, but, but a servant leader is somebody that, that is willing to take what it is that they're given in this life and to recognize that it, that they have purpose and that there is meaning to every little thing that they do. And that, and that it's not about like putting everybody else before yourself either. That's something that people always hear when they hear me talk about this. They're like, well, what about your dad? And yes, like my dad sucked at taking care of himself. And, and, and it's probably one of the biggest reasons why he got cancer and died uh, outside of it being genetic as well too. My grandfather had the same type of cancer. So, but you know, we can blame it on that or we can sit back and say like, yeah, he wasn't the best at that, but, but you know, he was amazing at making sure that his community was taken care of. And so we took care of him. I still do to this day and he's not even here anymore, you know, because I'm that committed to who he was and that kind of loyalty that kind of reputation, you know, cannot be built, you know, by through a false narrative, through a sales approach that sucks, that's mediocre, right? Through a business approach that's boring and bland and sticks to these are the rules. Instead, it's somebody that chooses to be legendary and to take risks. And that's what servant leadership is. Well, it, it, this isn't like a hard to digest concept in the sense of obviously your dad, your dad was really good at building raving fans, building his tribe, taking care of the whole person, not just being, you know, thirsty for the immediate sale. This isn't a hard concept. And yet it feels like, I don't know if, I don't know if it's a lack of patience. I don't know if it's a lack of long-term thinking, but, but it's, it's hard to find people who really put this concept in practice. And, and one really great example of this is the one industry that I've reamed on before is insurance agents, insurance agents who only call you when it's time to re-up and get you on the next year of insurance or to get you on life insurance or let's package you with this. And there's very little dialogue and conversation on, on, on actually just like knowing your client and talking to your client and giving your client a break. But even things that you mentioned of your dad, like giving someone like a financial break, you don't hear a lot about that because people, whenever that conversation comes up, it's like, well, why? And you said it yourself. Why would you do that? Why would you, you know, go through the work of that? But it sounds like your dad really understands this concept of how do you make someone a buyer for life rather than, oh, I just got the immediate sale and I'm good. Yeah. And that's that's the thought, right? Is is it's the long game that nobody wants to play because it takes too long <laughs> in everybody's <laughs> minds. They sit and they look at a number and they go, Oh, I've got to hit this number this month. Well, guess what? If you were proactively working toward that number this month, six months ago, then you wouldn't be worried about it today, in this moment, in this, in this instance. Instead, you would be more worried about what's gonna happen in two years. And, and where you'll be then, you know, and that was the lifestyle that I lived. My dad taught it to me. And by 2010, I had that thing on lock. And, and so I, I never had a problem hitting quota, especially a quarterly quota, you know, because I'm not going to lie. Maybe every once in a while, I sandbagged a couple of deals. <laughs> <laughs> we all do it, right? It just depends on the, the, the rules that are put in place and, and the integrity that falls behind it. And so I never did anything that would hurt my company. But of course, I, I played the game that they put in, in place at the gauntlet in front of me. So, but 
you know, I always knew exactly what I was going to write for the year, dude. Always knew exactly what I was going to write for the year. And I could tell you it at the beginning of the year, like a fortune teller. It was insane because I, again, I knew the landscape of, of business around me. I understood the game that I was playing from that long-term expression where if I met with somebody and they said, sorry, we're not interested. It, you know, that's not really how that conversation would go. Like it would with most people. They would the, the the responses I would elicit from them through my radical education concepts, through my attention concepts, through through my reason concept, even, um, you know. So all of our interrupt marketing concepts and the psychological approach to cold calling, people would say something like, "Man, it sucks because we're three years into a five year lease, so we got two more years before we can do something." And those two years would, you know, for for most people, they would trigger that as a win, and they would call them back in, you know, twelve to to eighteen months, and and start working a cycle at that point. Like I'd start that day, mm-hmm. I start in that moment. I would, you know, the next thing that showed up in the mail was a handwritten note. The next thing after that was a touch piece that showed up within sixty to ninety days. The next thing after that, ninety to one hundred and twenty days, another touch piece would show up, and all of a sudden they were like collecting you know, Pokemon cards of Dale, you know, and all the <laughs> drops that I was doing essentially where they were, I was giving them experiences yeah. playing the long game and, and trying to build, you know, fans and, and a tribe and not just right. sell clients, copy machines. What is it? What does it feel like? It's hard for people to play that game. Cause you you've nailed it. I mean, it's, and it's also similar with like the culture conversation, you know, when COVID hit, I had people reaching out saying, Hey, how do I create a, a healthy culture now? Cause I don't want people to quit. And I was like, dude, that ship has sailed. Like you should have, you should have been building your culture six months ago or a year ago, you know, and, and reaping the benefits now during a hard pandemic. People, I, I think the same thing's true about sales. People have a tough time thinking long-term. Well, what is it that keeps people from having the the wherewithal in their mind of, okay, I need to send a handwritten note. I need to start working this client, even though we're two years out versus the person who's like, okay, I'm going to put that on the back burner and maybe remember them, you know, 18 months from now. Like how, how does someone transition their thinking in that way? They, so someone transitions by thinking that by stay saying to themselves in my thought process, and in everything that I do, that I'm going to start being intentional. When you wash the dishes, be intentional. When you speak to your friends, be intentional. When you do something for your significant other, be intentional, right? Be intentional in all things that you do. And when you can start to be intentional and in like, hey, I'm going to read, uh, you know, a verse out of my Bible this morning. Be intentional about that. Don't just say like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to read it and go, oh, that was really nice, and move on. Like, I'm going to be intentional about the moment. I'm going to say, what am I trying to elicit for myself? What am I trying to build? What am I trying to grow? What am I trying to develop? We sit too much on the surface because here's the thing is that if somebody if somebody gets put in front of them this $150,000 revenue sale with, you know, 60% of gross profit, you know, inside of that that bad boy because their markup is so disgusting, they get they get that that feeling of like, "Oh my god, I got to get this now. If I got this now, I could buy this car, I could do this thing, I could make payroll, whatever the instance is and like what their role is particularly as they are looking at the deal." So business owner, salesperson, VP, whatever that looks like, right? But the bigger picture perspective is, is that in most cases, that's a wrong thought. And I'll, and, and really like you were waiting for me to say that anyway, but this is why it's wrong is because that's just one deal. And what happens, 
the next month and the month after that and what happens in 10 years with that client even right and how do you make that client such a raving fan that they don't just spend 150k on you in that instance that they do it again the next year with more products on a deeper and wider perspective if that's what you what you provide or from the perspective of over the next 10 years these people could provide a an amazing reference for people that we're working to get into and they know 250 people that i don't know you know the, right. the rule of inception with each and every every single person that you're serving in the first place. Like we get so fixated on what's on the surface with everything we do. Oh, I need to call my mom. You pick up the phone, you call your mom. Hey mom, how was your day? That's the first thing you ask. Is that, are you serious? That's the first thing you ask your mom, the woman that birthed you into this world or adopted you and, and sacrificed a lifestyle to foster you, right? Like, like you have to seriously sit back and think like when we, in everything that we do, when we're in our, when we interact with people, when we interact with ourselves, when we interact through business, that we have to be more intentional because time is important because who people are, are bigger than what we make them out to be in the first place. Your buyer does not care about whether or not you want to sell them something. And they also have in their mind that you treat them like a quota, that you treat them like a number, that you treat them like a transaction. If instead you thought my buyer pays my bills, provides for my family, develops my lifestyle, you would start to speak differently to people. Mm. And, you, and you would listen a lot more than you speak as well too, which is key to understanding and creating awareness, which makes you, you know, develops you into, I should say, one of the most badass salespeople on the face of the earth. Well, let me ask you this. Like, I, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, which was the uh, the post that you saw where the person was like, you know, get on their nerves, be obnoxious, or in, without even saying that, but basically that, you know, be okay with interrupting. And I guess they're trying to make a comment on like being confident with whatever. Tell me, like, as someone who's active on LinkedIn, who obviously, you know, you have your content, you have a tremendous amount of content, you have your own podcast, uh, all the stuff that you're putting out. What, what goes through your mind when you see these other narratives that push something that not only do you disagree with, but you intrinsically believe this is bad advice? And, and, and not just the example you gave, but other examples, like people who say things like, you know, here's how you can close this many number of deals by just sending one email. And it's very transactional. It's very uh, limited on the surface. What, what goes through your head when you're pushing this narrative and you see other people who are saying things that are totally counter to what you believe. So I think, I think what most, let's talk about what most people think. First off, they think I disagree and they get themselves all fired up to go and talk about why they disagree and they create content around why they disagree even. And they, and they, they incite negativity and, and typically hate in those moments as well too. Like when I read somebody with a different opinion, I love it. I absolutely love it. I take everything that I can from it. I try to look at it from their perspective even. So I say, are you 18 and like doing an internship in college for sales? <laughs> are you 25 and are you in your yeah. second sales role and have you digressed or are you advancing? I like, I ask myself all the important questions around like, how do I empathetically understand what this person is talking about? Cause there's a huge difference between empathy and sympathy that people don't recognize. And like over the last six, seven months of COVID people have produced sympathy, not empathy. They think they're producing empathy, but they're not because empathy is sharing in someone else's feelings and emotions and not just saying, oh yeah, I, I get it. 
right? Uh, or, or, oh, that sounds terrible, right? It's, it's again, it's, it's being a part of it with them. And, and really it's a good listener is what it is more than anything. So when I sit back and read something, I listen, I, and I put myself in the position of better understanding them. I don't say like, this person sounds like a tool, even though some, in some cases you kind of just come <laughs> to this conclusion that it's like, well, they, there's only one thing that they could be, yeah. but that's okay. Like, it's okay if someone's a tool also, it doesn't really matter. And like those things will attract a certain type of people. But what I believe that that is intrinsic and what the, the sales rebellion provides and that, and that at some point that this movement will be greater than anything that the sales world has ever seen is that we help people to look at it from that point of view. So instead of saying like, no, 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 those guys are wrong. They don't do it right. Or we have a better way. We sit back and say, that's cool. Tell me more. Tell me more about how you feel about that. Tell me more about this opinion. Tell me more about what you did. And the more you dig into that stuff, you know, what's really funny, bro, is that you find that, you know, people, sure, people like they get a deal from doing, taking bad advice from a sales leader, right? They get a deal and they think, oh my God, I got a deal. Well, bro, when you dissect the deal, it sucks is the bottom line. It sucks. And the buyer doesn't come back. Right. And, and that's, that's it. I don't need to say anything else. And anybody listening that can relate to that is going, oh, geez, you know that. How did you know that? Right. Well, I know it because I used to be that person. Mm. Right. That was who I was when I first started in sales. And so I, I slowly had to wake up to my own self and, and to be more aware of what I wanted to be and not who I was forcing myself to be and, and to tap into that power and to recognize that that radical authenticity is powerful and, and it's way better than, than pitches and it's way better than tricks and tips. Right. And, and furthermore, that causing curiosity and that using the power of psychology and connecting with people by taking simple principles like time being the currency of sales and attention being the exchange, simple things, right? And applying that to my sales walk. And so when I look at other people's opinions, I just say, we live in a lost and fallen world. That's usually what I th think in my mind. And that's, and that's all I think. And I, and then I go, and how do I understand it better? How do I understand it better? And, and I think that that's what makes us powerful because when you hear the same story about our wins from our students, and I'm not saying they're better by any means, right? Cause they can still be bad, you know, just depending on who's carrying it out. But when you use 99% of what the sales rebellion preaches, you're doing it your way under the guise of how we are enabling you to be better at sales. Hmm. And so the outcome is always going to be better. It's, you know, it, again, 99% of the time, because if you're a tool and part of the 1%, you're still going to piss people off and you're still going to have a bad sales cycle every once in a while. But allowing somebody else to buy and you to step out of the sales position altogether is what we aim to do entirely. And that doesn't mean that we don't believe in cold calling and all that other stuff. When people hear that, they're all like, what, are you just a marketer? Like, no, we still believe in outreach. We still believe in communication theories and methodologies, but we believe in it in a much different light than people do in, in 2020, because they're still stuck in 1970. <laughs> well, tell me, tell me more about like, cause you just referenced it again, like you, you mentioned early on about those first four years, you said first two years, you were terrible at sales. Uh, the two years after that, you were really finding your voice. You had this four year span of kind of becoming the person you are today. And now you sit here, you, you talk very confidently about sales. You obviously have a deep understanding of sales. What was that starting point like? And specifically, because I, I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to this podcast who that is their big bottleneck. It's, it's I, I don't know what I look like as a salesperson. I don't know what I should sound like. I don't know if I should try to like 
totally embrace the douche, like the tool, like the confident, arrogant, like there's, there's people who are thinking these things, these things through right now. I'd love if you could share a little bit more about that starting point for you. Yeah, man. So I was the typical bro culture salesperson in the beginning. And, and it is not to say that I didn't have the heart of a servant leader, or at least want to tap into what I had. Cause I was taught these things by my dad. But my dad also just kind of like let me fail as well too, which was the best thing that he could have possibly done because I got to sit back and like see why I sucked and not tried and didn't try, I should say, to force myself out of it. Instead, I had to learn myself out of it slowly. So I had to become what it was that I was called to be and I had to believe in that. I had to, I had to know that every movement was a movement in the right direction, even if it was a failure. And so I, I had to have this mindset shift, you know, inside of my entire walk, right? Because in the beginning, I was the guy that was like, give me every book. Let me listen to everything, every CD you have, because this is well before podcast. Well, it, three or four years before they got super popular, right? But, but I'm a millennial. So like at the, at the front end, right? So, but for me, it was this idea of like consumption, consume, consume, like learn ideas, like learn all these things. Well, dude, they were turning me into the douche, right? Like you were just saying, like they were turning me into that. They were, they were developing me away from who I truly was as a salesperson. And that's when I started my rebellion, right? And the sales rebellion as an organization might've just started back in 2019, but we've been around since 2010, baby. The copier warrior was the inception of what the sales rebellion is. When I personally branded myself and I said, I'm going to step out of the muck. I'm going to get away from this intrusive concept of what sales is quote unquote, supposed to be like, I'm going to get away from all these business stereotypes and cop-outs. I'm going to start connecting with people. I'm going to start learning about them. I'm going to start building relationships and I'm not going to be afraid uh, of that concept. And I'm also not going to be afraid when someone says, I don't want a relationship. I just want your product. I'm not going to be afraid of that either. I, and I'm still going to be myself. I'm still going to nuance what I do, but I'm, I'll be accept. I'm not going to try and force anybody into anything either. So it was this identity of sitting back and saying like, well, that's what human nature is, right? It's the, uh, the concept of accommodation theory, not just for our, uh, our prospect and buyer, but for ourselves. And so sitting back and saying like, cool, I can listen to everything Brian Tracy says, and I can listen to everything Zig Ziglar says and Dale Carnegie says, those are some of my favorites of the OGs. Right. But, you know, and I was also learning from some of the newer guys and I was just like noticing that they were just like rehashing everything these guys did. Right. And, and, and in my mind, I just thought like, well, that doesn't seem right. And shouldn't we be evolving these thoughts? And also the only thing that ever resonated with me was this idea of, of self and service, right? That's what always rec resonated with me is like, be aware of who you are, wear it on your sleeve every day. Don't be afraid of it. Right. And, and the second thing that I, that I always resonated with was this idea of serving people that sales is service. Mm. And so, so kind of like allowing those things to lead got me away from, you know, the douchery of, of what <laughs> sales can throw out there, bro. I love it. I love it. Well, Dale, this has been a, a great episode, and I appreciate your insights on sales. I think a great parting word would be for anyone who's listening to really hone in on who you are as a salesperson and really embrace yourself as a person. But I, I also love, Dale, your twist on thinking of sales as service and not just uh, what you can take in terms of monetary money from your, your, your ideal customers. Dale, I always like to do at the end of the episode, I always like to give my guests an opportunity to share how my listeners can follow up with you, how they can learn more about you. If there's any product or anything like that you want them to check out, what, what can people do after this episode to learn more about you? Uh, dude, listen, I'm, I am extremely on fire for other people's success. 
Okay. And so like, even though, yeah, I got a website, salesrebellion.com. You could just Google my name, Dale Dupree and find plenty about me um, or, or find my cell phone even and text me <laughs> if you're feeling up to it. LinkedIn.com backslash IN backslash copier warrior. If you want to DM me um, or read my content daily, but you know what I really care about, bro? I care about other people that are listening right now, making the choice to be better, not just for themselves, but for their communities, for their families, for the friends that they have in their circles, for the truth that they hold in their heart that isn't coming out, that isn't taking you know shape and form and creating impact for others. And so everybody listening today, like more so than just like getting in touch with me and doing something with the rebellion, what you can is you can embrace the movement of what we are, that you can be your authentic self, that you can take a stance against what it is that the business world has told us that we have to do to be successful and tell it no and stand up to those things and start to live more altruistically and with this sense of purpose so that other people can feed off of that and find their own success their own way as well too. I love it. Dale, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. I appreciate it. Got it, bro. Appreciate it. For the listeners, hey, I'll put the website, the salesrebellion.com down in the episode description below. I'll also put a link to Dale's uh, LinkedIn profile. I'll also throw a link to his podcast. It's called the Selling Local Podcast. I'll make sure I put that on there as well so you can check it out. Hey, if you're a first-time listener, what the heck you waiting on? Click that subscribe button so you can keep getting good advice wherever you're at. And of course, be sure to leave this episode a five-star review. Hey, also, we're on Patreon. Check us out, patreon.com slash goodadvice if you want to sponsor the podcast, maybe even get your business sponsored on the podcast. As always, we appreciate you. Thanks for checking it out. We'll see you later. Take care.